When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to More Than Amuse. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani, and thanks for being here. Welcome back, repeated listeners and new ones. And today we have Stani presenting on a forgotten woman artist. And I'm very excited to learn about this person. Yes. And what's really cool is that, so when we're recording this, the Met Gala was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the theme was like, oh, what did they call it again? Uh, Yeah, like a lexicon of American fashion or whatever. I don't know. And what was really cool is that I was, like, going through the looks, and I've never really paid, like, that much attention before the Met Gala, but for some reason this year I was like, yeah, like, let's see, like, Mm -hmm. let's be invested. And one of the celebrities was wearing a Josephine Baker-inspired outfit. Wait, really? Yes. So, here, it was Yara Shahidi, if I say that right. She was wearing a Dior gown, and it was inspired by Josephine Baker. No way. Okay, yeah, I'm looking up right now. It's a beautiful... Yes. Like, she was on some of the lists of, like, best dressed, because everyone was like, she understood the assignment. Like, her hair and the gown and everything was just, like, so perfect, and it called Mm -hmm. back to the, like, elegant and just... Oh, man, we're going to talk about her, but she is just, like, a storm of, like, divine energy, like Josephine Baker. So Okay, I I'm think, ready then. Yeah, I think she totally, like, took that and, like, made it her own, but yet, like, paid perfect homage to her. It was a wonderful look. So cool. kind of fun that it, like, tied in so perfectly to, like, something that happened just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, like, I knew I was going to do her for, like, three weeks now. So, very cool. That's perfect. I feel like I find, too, that it's, like, when we start covering these artists and I, like, become more aware of their name, then I feel like I start seeing them places. They you pop up I mean? everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, how many times have I just, like, not known a name, but, like, mm-hmm. it was actually there. You know what I mean? Like, how many times did I miss it just because I didn't recognize their name immediately oh agreed I've thought about that so many times like when I ran into that news article about how a Margaret Keene painting that had been stolen was returned and I was like would I have even thought about that if we hadn't done a whole episode on her yeah or like the Camille Claudel like comparison to Britney Spears it was like I know for the episode I wouldn't have had any of that context to like really understand what Mm -hmm. that was saying exactly so it's cool I love when that happens and it's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things about doing this and something that's kind of fun about Josephine Baker is that I feel like she's gonna tie in a lot of episodes that we've talked about oh which is like so fun um basically any star you can think of from the 50s and 60s she interacted with them oh wow so she was kind of a symbol of like both the jazz age and the roaring 20s so it's gonna kind of throw in a lot of that like jazz context that we went over with Lil Hardin Mm -hmm. Armstrong and she actually has some photos with Louis Armstrong herself so they did know each other okay cool and then um also she was a major part of World War II in Paris and so that whole context kind of plays in as well on like the war effort and everything that happened to then and then another part that will kind of play into this is like old hollywood glamour she was really really good friends with grace kelly oh no way yeah 
So that whole thing ties in. And then lastly, she was a huge advocate for the civil rights movement in America and actually spoke with Martin Luther King in like public, was like a public advocate and speaker for the civil rights movement. So like the fact that I don't know who this woman is until this moment, like how? (laughs) Yeah, it's like actually kind of insane because the more I read through it, the more I was like, okay, so she was everywhere and involved in everything and made a major impact on like Uh French and American media. And I don't know her name. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, so I think, like, a ton of what we've talked about will, like, tie into this. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fun because so much of it, like, if you've listened to every single episode or even just a few of the past recent ones, like, you're going to draw a lot of, like, similar lines between things that are happening, which is is really cool. cool. So, okay, I guess we'll kind of jump in. So Josephine Baker was actually born Frida Josephine McDonald. And she was a naturalized French citizen, but she was born in America. So she was an American citizen, but ended up becoming a naturalized French citizen later because she spent most of her adult life in France. Even though she kind of dabbled in a lot of industries, she was a renowned dancer, a performer. She also did some singing and acting. Um, And kind of became that iconic image, like I said, of the Jazz Age and the Roaring Twenties. A lot of people, they had a ton of nicknames for her. Some of them were the Black Venus, the Black Pearl, the Bronze Venus, and the Creole Goddess. And she made, like, major impacts on the civil rights movement, the war effort, and so much more. So, (laughs) Wow. Yes. So, she was born in St. Louis, Missouri. And her mother had actually been adopted in Little Rock, Arkansas by Richard and Elvira McDonald, both of them who were former slaves of African and Native American descent. Wow. And so that was kind of um, just like Lil Hardin, you know, like not very far off from slavery, which is crazy when you think about that, that it really wasn't that long ago. However... We have information about her mother, but we don't have a lot of information about her father. Josephine Baker's foster son actually ended up writing a biography on her life, and he did a ton of research into her life and tried to find out who her biological father was because most of the time when people would ask, she would say it was the vaudeville drummer Eddie Carson, but there was like evidence that proved that he wasn't, and so... This is, like, really interesting. He writes in the book, he says, The records of the city of St. Louis tell an almost unbelievable story. They show that Baker's mother, Carrie McDonald, was admitted into the exclusively white female hospital on May 3, 1906, diagnosed as pregnant. She was discharged on June 17th, her baby, Frida J. McDonald, having been born two weeks earlier. Why six weeks in the hospital? Especially for a black woman of that time who would customarily have to have her baby at home with the help of a midwife. The father was identified on the birth certificate simply as EDW. I think that Josephine's father was white. So did Josephine. So did her family. People in St. Louis say that Baker's mother had worked for a German family around the time she became pregnant. I have unraveled many mysteries associated with Josephine Baker, but the most painful mystery of her life, the mystery of her father's identity, I could not solve. The secret died with Carrie, who refused to the end to talk about it. So she let people think Eddie Carson was the father and Carson played along, but Josephine knew better. I mean, I guess that's kind of cool that like someone kind of played along with it. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was so interesting, though, to think about the fact that like she was admitted into an exclusively white female hospital and was there for six weeks and that is what made everyone kind of go like oh okay like her father was probably white something happened there yeah because also like if she was in the hospital for six weeks like was everything okay or was that i wonder if that was normal to be in the hospital that long i don't know i i don't know how normal it is now i was i was gonna say like it's more common to stay longer if you have a c-section but i don't think c-sections were super common back then yeah that's what i'm wondering yeah i have no idea maybe she was in like labor for a really long time or they took Mm -hmm. her there for like a long period of time to maybe like hide the father's identity more like i have no idea but Yeah. yeah i just think it's really interesting that like i don't know that she 
went to like an exclusively white hospital like that's a weird concept first off that like hospitals yeah. <laughs> were white and black women weren't allowed to have their babies in a hospital, in the hospital. yeah <laughs> like in hospitals in general <laughs> well that's kind of like what you said like it kind of like it really puts it in perspective like how not that long ago some of these things were and like yeah that's like crazy to remember yeah which is even crazier because she talks about like her growing up period and everything Uh um she grew up in the mill creek valley neighborhood of st louis and it was like a racially mixed low-income neighborhood near union station so there was like a lot of brothels and apartments without indoor plumbing and she said she remembers being poorly dressed and hungry as a child but having a lot of like street smarts her mother around that time married a man named Arthur Martin and he was kind but perpetually unemployed so that's kind of a bummer but with him she had a son and two more daughters and then her mother um, was employed by taking in laundry and washing it in order to make ends meet Mm -hmm. and only at seriously at the age of eight Josephine began working wow (laughs) which is crazy so she was what they called a live-in domestic for white families in St. Louis. So basically she'd go live in with a white family and do their chores, which once again is a very strange concept. Um, but so like a ch- literally a child. would be Yeah. Like an eight year old. And one woman um, abused her during this time, burning her oh. hands when she put too much soap in the laundry, which is like such an innocent crime for such a severe. Well, and also like she's eight. Like she's a child. Mm -hmm. And then only at age 11, she remembers witnessing racial violence in East St. Louis um, and recalls like standing on the West Bank of the Mississippi and watching the glow of the burning homes lighting the sky. Yeah. And just like hearing screams of the families running across the bridge and like just running and running and running. So definitely not like a charmed childhood. Um, By age 12, she dropped out of school, and by age 13, she was working at a waitress at the Old Shuffers Club. At that point, she was pretty much a street child, living in the slums of St. Louis, sleeping in cardboard shelters, scavenging for food in garbage cans, and making a living street corner dancing. And then um, it was during this time while she was waitressing, she met a man named Willie Wells, and she got married at age 13. Um, however, the marriage lasted less than a year and they ended up getting divorced. And right after that time, she ended up finding work with a street performance group called the Jones Family Band. So during like her teen years, she had a really strained relationship with her mother who didn't want her to be an entertainer and was um, mad at her because around this time she ended up getting married to a second husband named Willie Baker. Apparently both of her first two husbands were named Willie, so it must have been a very common name. She married him at the age of 15, and then um, her mother was mad because when her vaudeville troupe was booked to New York City, she divorced him and left him. Oh my goodness. Yeah, her mom was not happy about that. Um, However, she would go on to use his last name professionally for the rest of her life, so that's how she got the surname baker oh yeah i guess i like didn't even realize okay cool even though she traveled and her mother wasn't very happy with what she was doing she would often return with gifts and money for her mother and half younger sister but it did kind of push her away because her mother really disapproved of her life but this is when her career took off um so this kind of ties in perfectly with we talked about augusta savage and the harlem renaissance So at the age of 13, she headed to New York City during that Harlem Renaissance era when, you know, like African-American and black culture was like coming to life and kind of being very, I don't want to say like, it was very popular at the time. Yes. Um, So she performed with her group at the Plantation Club, um, Florence Mills' old stomping ground, and in the chorus lines of groundbreaking and hugely successful Broadway revenues. So her role in the show, she was the last dancer on the end of the chorus line. And they often called this role the pony. And basically what she would do is she would pretend that she didn't remember the dance. 
until the encore and kind of like play up the comic attitude of it all and like oh, pretend yeah. that she had no idea what she was doing. And then at the encore, she would perform it correctly and with additional complexity. So then she would like show off and everyone would be like, oh. And at that time, she was billed as the highest paid chorus girl in vaudeville. So, wow. Yeah. So she was doing pretty good. Sadly, because of the time period, her career began with blackface comedy at local clubs, Mm. um, which sadly was extremely popular at that time. However, these performances landed her the opportunity to tour Paris, which got her out of the blackface comedy club scene and more into the like Paris entertainment scene, which is where she would end up considering Paris her home for the rest of her life. So she sailed to Paris only at the age of 19 um, and opened in the La Revue Naguère on the 2nd of October, 1925. In an interview with The Guardian in 1974, she had a quote where she said, Now I didn't get my first break on Broadway. I was only in the chorus in Shuffle Along and Chocolate Dandies. I became famous first in France in the 20s. I just couldn't stand America, and I was one of the first colored Americans to move to Paris. Oh, yes, Bricktop was there as well. Me and her were the only two, and we had a marvelous time. Of course, anyone who was anyone knew Bricky, and they got to know Mrs. Baker as well. And then this is kind of where she became a sensation. One of her major things was she actually did erotic dancing, which I don't know how, like, it would be considered. I doubt it would be considered erotic today. But she would perform what they said practically nude, which is basically in a bikini on stage. (laughs) After a successful tour of Europe, um, she ended up breaking her contract and returning to France again in 1926 to star on the Follets Bergère, which we talked about with Louis, right? Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Louis Fuller. There we go. Louis Fuller. So same place. Very, very amazing venue, very prestigious. Yeah, all that's that. cool. And again, just mm-hmm. like another way that everything's just kind of overlapping. Exactly, yeah. Um, she was most famous for performing something called the Dance Savage, which was a, a dance where she wore a costume with a skirt made of a string of artificial bananas. And <laughs> this was like shocking to everyone, but they were kind of obsessed with it. And so it drew, like, a lot of attention. And it also, like, created a renewal of interest in non-Western forms of art, including, like, African art again. Okay. Kind of to accompany this whole, like, almost, like, African tribal thing that she was going for, she actually had a pet cheetah. (laughs) Which is so cool. Um, Its name was Chiquita, and it had a diamond collar. And she would bring the her pet cheetah on stage with her all the time. And the cheetah frequently would escape into the orchestra pit and terrorize the musicians. And it added, like, a whole other element of excitement to the show. And so people, like, would go even more. I have so many questions of just, like, how did she get the cheetah? I have no um, idea. It was Paris like, in the 20s. <laughs> how did it not, like kill the music you know like what happens if it attacks the musicians like i have no was it idea a well-trained cheetah that just I'd like knew not to go so. too far <laughs> if she was bringing it on stage and it had a diamond collar on then like, i would assume so that's there is this is amazing there's even pictures of her with her little pet cheetah like walking it down the street and stuff i will post some <laughs> yeah please yeah because like so fun <laughs> like a fat cheetah what <laughs> that's amazing um, yes and after only a short while um josephine baker was considered the most successful american entertainer working in france ernest hemingway is noted calling her the most sensational woman anyone ever saw wow and it's said that he spent hours talking with her in paris bars um, Picasso drew paintings depicting her alluring beauty. Jean Chacteau became friendly with her and helped inter- vault her into international stardom. Like, she had a star-studded friendship, like, yeah. social life. Like, she knew the people, <laughs> all of them. In 1929, she actually was the first African-American star to visit Yugoslavia and then ended up performing at Luxor 
Balkanska, which was the most luxurious venue in the city at the time. However, um, after donating some of the show's proceedings to the poor children of Serbia after her routine and meeting some adoring fans, um, some of the local clergy and the morality police were opposed to her shows, and so a lot of them got canceled. Oh, dear. Yeah, morality police. I don't know why that's such a funny concept to me. <laughs> like, it's an official position. You're like, oh, I'm the president of the morality police. Watch out, everybody. Here I come. <laughs> yeah, they'd be really busy nowadays <laughs> if we went by those standards. <laughs> she also ended up getting a manager at this time named Count Giuseppe Pepito Abatino. Nice. And he was not only her manager, but her lover. Um, however, they could not marry because she was still married to Willie Baker. Clear back in Oh, the wait. States. Oh, so she never actually divorced him. She just she left She just him. left him. Yeah. So they couldn't get married, but she had, like, an affair with him. I don't know how much of a, an affair it is if you've been, you haven't seen your husband in years. But anyway. That complicates things. It would have been easier probably just to get divorced, but I guess we probably. don't know the full story. Yeah, I mean, she was only 19, I think, so young. when she left him, so maybe it was too complicated and she didn't have enough time. She had to get to New York. That's fair. Anyway, um, she also ended up scoring a successful song called Jae Du Amor. In 1931, and then also ended up starring in three films that were only successful in Europe, but still, um, it was the silent film Siren of the Tropics, Zuzu, and Princess Tam Tam. And I think I saw somewhere that she was like the first, the first black woman to star in a major motion picture. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that was the 1927 silent film Siren of the Tropics. So... That's a major thing, which is really cool. Even though it was only popular in Europe, that's still really amazing. Yeah, I mean, no, that's amazing. Yeah. America's not the only place that matters. <laughs> Definitely not. So under that management of her lover, um, her singing voice took like a huge progression as well as like her public persona and her persona on stage. And so she ended up taking the lead in a revival of an opera and wow. that had a six-month run in Paris. And then um, during that time, she also went through months of training with her vocal coach. And um, Shirley Bassey, if you've ever heard of her, um, has cited Baker as a primary influence for her voice. Even saying that, like, she went from a petite... D I'm going to say it wrong. Anyway, it's in French. Basically, she said she went from a wild little dancer with a decent voice to the great gorgeous diva. I swear, wow. in all my life, I have never seen and probably never shall see again such a spectacular singer and performer. But despite her popularity in France and how well she was doing, she never quite got the same reputation in America. Huh. Um, until a little later, she would gain some popularity, but it just wasn't to the same level. Um, she went back to America in 1936 for a run on Broadway and it just didn't have good box office numbers and they ended up replacing her with a different actress later in the run. No. Yeah, and they were very mean in the press. Um they said she was her voice was too thin and dwarf-like to fill the theater. Her dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris. Like they were just kind of rude. <laughs> And this caused her to return to Europe heartbroken and actually become a legal citizen of France and give up her American citizenship after that moment. She was like, I'm out of here. Yeah, she was done. That's like so weird that it would be something that's like looked down on, you know, like I know to me, I would think of it if it's like, oh, my gosh, like she's big in Paris, France. Like that's like the more prestigious thing you know to You'd be in think. Paris in the 20s and be successful like that like that's funny yeah I know that was very interesting and then when she returned to Paris in 1937 she actually ended up marrying another guy a French industrialist Jean Lyon or Jean Lyon and mm -hmm. it like sped along her French citizenship but I don't know if like 
they were also in love not sure <laughs> or if it was like strictly green card wedding yeah <laughs> but they got married um and then this is kind of when world war Two began and a whole other turn of events come about for her so in september 1939 france declared war on germany um after they invaded poland and Baker was recruited by the French Military Intelligence Agency as an honorable correspondent. And Whoa. so her goal and her whole, like, role within the war was to gather information from, like, German troops um, after meeting, like, different officials and stuff at parties and then passing along the information. So she's like a spy. Yes. So because she had like this level of fame in Paris, she was like rubbing shoulders with people who knew what was happening. And so it was like high ranking Japanese officials, Italian bureaucrats. And then she could report back to the French army what was happening. And yeah, and it wouldn't raise suspicion as fast because she was like part of the crowds there so they weren't Uh expecting her to be a part of the political scene so just a straight on spy like oh yeah and she did that until the germans invaded france and then um, went to live in the south of france and helped supply people with visas who were trying to lead the free french effort um, which is awesome and then um, during this time, she also had a great excuse to move around Europe as an entertainer. So then she began to, like, carry information for transmission to England um, and spread more information about the war effort, like where the German troops concentrations were in France and all this stuff. And it's cool to hear how they did it. They wrote notes on her sheet music and invisible ink. What? Yeah, because she needed her sheet music, right? She was a performer. This, like, sounds like a movie. Yeah. And then she specialized in gathering all these important people together at embassies and ministries and charming people. And then she was able to remember the important stuff and transmit all the information, which is awesome. Um, Later in 1941, she ended up having to take a break and went to the French colonies in North Africa because she had pneumonia. Which was their excuse because she was actually continuing to help the resistance as well. So I don't know if she actually had like a very severe case of pneumonia or, or not. Or if it was or, all just a lie to yeah. get her where she needed to be. But from a base in Monaco, she made tours of Spain and she would pin notes with information she gathered inside her underwear. Because she would count on her celebrity status to avoid having to do strip searches. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then ended up meeting the Pasha of Marrakech, who actually ended up helping her through a miscarriage, which was super sad. Apparently, she had multiple um, during this time. But because of that miscarriage and everything that was happening, she actually got an infection. um, And it was so severe, it required a hysterectomy, an emergency hysterectomy. So that happened all during her time and this continued to kind of cause her to fall in and out of good health for the next little while but an important note is that the free french movement didn't have like an organized entertainment network for their troops either so baker and her entourage managed it for the most part on their own and they would throw shows and allow no civilians and charge no admission fees so they were throwing like shows for the troops as well which was a major thing to like boost morale and everything else so she did a lot um like is it like she's literally like an undercover (laughs) spy yes you're you're describing the plot of some like thriller movie like (laughs) right i know it has all the makings of good movie pet cheetah yeah spy movie star so then her very last marriage was to a French composer and conductor, Joe Bullion, and it ended around the time that Baker adopted her 11th child, which I'll get into her whole adoption of children. Okay, cool. I was yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We've jumped a bit, but cool. Yes. Anyways, that was her last marriage. In 1949, after the whole war effort and everything had ended, um, Baker returned in triumph to the full as Berger again, and... She was bolstered by this recognition from her wartime heroism. She actually ended up getting an award. She was awarded the Resistance Medal by the French Committee of National Liberation, the Croix de Guerre by the French military, 
and was named Chevalier of the Legion d'Honneur by General Charles de Gaulle, all huh. for her wartime efforts, which is amazing. Wow. And then also, because of her return and being like a wartime hero, um, NAACP named her Woman of the Year in 1951. So she just had like a renewed confidence and like a new gravitas, they said. She was just like unafraid to take on anything. Um, and so she started taking on more serious music and subject matter. And it ended up like really boosting her success and reestablishing her career again in Paris. Wow. And then in 1951, she was invited back to the United States for a nightclub engagement in Miami. And this was really cool. She um, she told them she'd come, but only if they desegregated the audience. And wow. they fought her on it and offered her a lot of money. And she said that she wouldn't do it unless they desegregated. And so they did. And she sold out the club and followed it with a national tour. And wow. Yeah. And there were rave reviews, enthusiastic audiences, and a parade in front of 100,000 people in Harlem in honor what? of her title. Yeah. I so, just, and the irony yes. of being like, oh, we want this black woman to come perform for us, but yeah, the black but people no and audience the white people members. still have to be separated. And it's like, what? So it's like the, she can come perform, but the whole audience has to be white. And it doesn't make any it, sense. It, I, yeah. I love it. Yeah. That. I mean, I hate so, that, but you yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So the person that I will be shouting out today is an artist, of course. Uh, her name is Sally Brandle Watercolors. So it's Sally, S-A-L-L-Y. B-R-A-N-D-L watercolors on Instagram. For her artwork, she uses watercolors, but then also incorporates other mediums like fibers and like beads even. So yeah, like if you go through, there's like, like I said, it's just cool. Like it incorporates all the things. It's like a lot of like designs, but like, of course it's designs, but like, you know, like shapes, patterns, symmetrical, cool designs. And it's like cool to see how it's like, some of it is fibers, some of it is beads, and like how those all overlap just to like make this really cool dimensional piece of art. You know what I mean? Ooh, I love these. Yeah, and they're so like I just don't really feel like I've seen something quite like this. I'm trying to think it's it reminds me of an art movement, but I can't think of the name of it. I'm less versed in my art movements, but like yeah, like it makes me think of something, but like I said, mm -hmm. it feels so unique though, like I don't see stuff quite like this a lot and it's really cool oh. artwork like this would be like the perfect kind of thing to like display in your home and like just bring some color and light to it definitely it's really cool i know so check her out again that's sally brandle watercolors she has like a website that looks like she's an artist in chicago by the way pretty sure she does like commissions and stuff or like sometimes we'll do like story sale prints and things so oh cool yeah it's awesome and she looks like she does like pop-up shops so if you're in chicago or you know illinois area there you go she should be there i have a poet which i'm excited about her username is c-l-a-s-s-i-c-l-a-u-r 2.0 classical clar classical i think she went viral earlier because i remember seeing it earlier for like she blew up like a legally blonde poster in her work background because her coworkers had like these like prestigious like movie posters for like movies by guys and stuff and so she did like a legally blonde one in her background of her zoom calls oh yeah and had her friend like make one which was cool but then um she ended up working on a project of uh her ex sent her a birthday card on her birthday oh and I've seen this. yeah uh -huh. and it was like a spider-man birthday card and then it had like a weird little like thing on anyway it was just like this huge card and she said it sent her for like a total mind trip because she was just like what the heck like <laughs> what was this and so she wanted to kind of like write almost like breakup songs in a way but like she doesn't write music but she wanted to turn it into like an album sort of 
And so her sister was like, well, just turn it into like an album and make like the little booklet that goes at the front of the CD, but then like make poetry instead. But then she had like a bunch of people reach out and tell her that they wanted to write music for some of her poetry. So she's like, yeah, so she's collaborating on like quite a few of them and then doing a couple of like spoken words ones and she's actually going to like release it. But she's been reading some of the poetry as she writes it and it's really cool. Like it's kind of incredible. Um, So it's just under her like birthday card album on TikTok. She has like a playlist for it if you want to go through and see all of those. Yeah, I was going to say, she's bigger on TikTok, definitely. Yeah, she's definitely bigger on TikTok, but she does have an Instagram. She's posted a few things on there. She just took pictures for, like, her little cover for her birthday party thing, and there's some on Instagram. But, yeah, she's, like, definitely bigger on TikTok. So if you're going to follow her, I would check out her TikTok. But, yeah, I've, like, I've loved all of the poems that she's posted. Like, she wrote, like, a sonnet and then, like, wrote like a little pre-script thing for the album and then she just finished one called like if i tried and monstrosity and those were both phenomenal so check her out and support her project because it's really cool like it's a very cool poetry project like it's just so cool to like see the different ways people can create art and it's really inspiring to see that No, agreed. And it's kind of fun, too, because, like, she talks a lot about how, like, this isn't what she was planning on doing um, at all with, like, her life. And yet, like, here she is writing a poetry anthology about her breakup based on a birthday card. So, (laughs) No, I I mean, who plans for that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So she's really funny. She also does, like, a bunch of other stuff, just, like, commentary on shows and everything so she's fun to follow in general but i really Mm -hmm. do love her poetry just a reminder that if you have any artists you want us to shout out or yourself send in the names we're always looking we're always trying to support people all right now back to the show in 1952 she was hired to crown the queen of the cavalcade of jazz for the famed eighth cavalcade of jazz concert held at wrigley field that a bunch of other jazz performers performed at. Then there was an incident at a stork club in October 51 that kind of disrupted her plans for a while. Um, Baker had criticized the club's unwritten policy of discouraging black patrons and then scolded the a columnist, um, Walter Winchell, who had been an old ally of like desegregation and equal rights mm-hmm. for not rising to her defense. And he responded swiftly with a series of harsh public rebukes, including accusing her of communist sympathies, which was like Mm. a major insult at that time because of how anti-communist everyone was. Um, And this (laughs) resulted in them terminating her work visa and forcing her to cancel all of her engagements and return to France. What? Yeah. And it was almost a decade after that before U.S. officials allowed her back in the country. So, super messed up, and you can kind of tell why she didn't really like the United States. (laughs) Why does does the United States hate her? Like, this is (laughs) so, like, at this point, like, these stories are just so personal that it's Uh, like, They're like, oh, we're taking away your work visa because the columnist said that you were a communist, even though there was, Wait, what year was this again? That was in 1951. Okay, then it wasn't when, like, this kind of happened with Eartha Kitt. Because you I remember, like, yeah, Eartha Kitt was later. I think she was Vietnam later. War, but it's uh-huh. like similar. similar type of thing. Yeah. yeah, like I said, she ties in so much because we mm-hmm. even like talking about a spy during wartime. That was like Afro Ben. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So it's like literally, she overlaps a lot with a lot of things we've talked about. In 1966, Fidel Castro invited Baker to perform in the Havana Club. For the seventh anniversary celebration of his revolution. Wow. And this huge show that she performed in April broke attendance records, which is crazy. Um, in 1968, she visited Yugoslavia and then went to Belgrade and Skyopji. Skyopi? Probably saying that wrong. Later on in her career, she ended up facing some financial troubles for a while and even commented, nobody wants me, they've forgotten me. 
but family members encouraged her to continue performing. And in 1973, she performed at Carnegie Hall to a standing ovation. She made it back to America eventually. Yes. And then in the following year, she appeared in a Royal Variety performance at the London Palladium and then at the Red Cross Gala celebrating her 50 years in French show business. Wow. And just continued to captivate audiences of all ages, which is amazing. So now we're going to dive a little bit into her civil rights activism. So sorry, these are kind of staggered. It's just the way they had it all sanctioned out. So it's kind of going to skip back into the 1950s again. So although she was based in France, she was like a major part of the civil rights movement. And when she arrived in New York with her husband, Joe, they were refused reservations at 36 different hotels because of racial discrimination. Oh my and gosh. yeah, so that kind of spearheaded like her attitude about the whole thing. And she was so upset by it. She wrote articles about segregation in the United States and then began traveling into the South, um, giving talks at Fisk University, which is a historically black college in Nashville, Tennessee, on France, North Africa, and the equality of the races in France, because racial discrimination was doing a lot better at that time period in France. Um, And then, like I talked about, she refused to perform for segregated audiences in the United States. That Miami club I I talked about, they actually offered her $10,000, and she told them she'd only do it if they desegregated, and they met her demands. Wow. Um, This actually helped integrate live entertainment shows in Las Vegas, Nevada, and really pushed along the entertainment scene as far as, like, desegregating sooner. She ended up receiving threatening phone calls, obviously, from the Ku Klux Klan, but publicly said multiple times that she wasn't afraid of them and would continue to do what she was doing. I feel like no wonder this woman hates America. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Like, Like, oof. Can't really blame her. Um, In 1951, Sherman Billingley's Stork Club in Manhattan had refused her service, and actress Grace Kelly, who was at the club at the time, rushed over to Baker, took her by the arm, and stormed out with her entire party, vowing never to return. Wow. Yeah, and apparently she did return at one point with the Prince Rainier of Monaco, her husband, but that was the only other time she went to that club. And they were very close friends after that incident. Wow. So I guess, okay, that's good. Feel good Mm -hmm. about Grace Kelly then. Yes. When Josephine Baker was actually near bankruptcy, Grace Mm -hmm. Kelly, who was then a princess in Monaco, offered Mm -hmm. her a villa and financial assistance. And she actually ended up living in Monaco for a while with the royal family, which is really cool. So it kind of shows how close they were. Baker also worked with the NAACP, um, just like they named her Person of the Year, Woman of the Year. They even declared Sunday, the 20th of May, 1951, Josephine Baker Day, Mm -hmm. and gave her life membership with the NAACP, and she was awarded that by a Nobel Peace Prize winner. She also was paid to continue her crusading efforts for um, a campaign that she started called Save Willie McGee. And mm-hmm. McGee was a black man in Mississippi who had been convicted of raping a white woman in 1945. But the evidence was really, really slim, and he had been sentenced to death. And so they did rallies, they wrote letters, um, and did a ton of efforts. Despite that, McGee was executed, but that was a major part of her work um, wow. that she focused on. Also, um, as a decorated war hero who had like a ton of racial equality behind her that she had experienced in Europe, she was just like extremely outspoken. And a lot of people in America began to really fear her like controversial attitude and a lot of like her racy reputation from her earlier years, from like her performing mm-hmm. years. And they were worried that she was going to hurt the civil rights movement. But Hmm. she was, like, a very important part of it. In 1963, the March on Washington with Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., she was the only official female speaker. Wow. Yeah. So she spoke at the rally on the March on Washington. She wore her free French uniform emblazoned with her Medal of the Legion of Honor and introduced the Negro Woman for Civil Rights Rosa Parks and Daisy Bates were among those she acknowledged, and both of them gave brief speeches 
Um, but not a lot of people wanted her present at the march. They thought that her time overseas had made her a woman of France and that she was disconnected from the civil rights issues of America. But notably, like something she said that I love this quote, she said, I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more, but I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made wow. me mad. And when I get mad, you know that I open my big mouth and then look out because when Josephine opens her mouth, they hear it all over the world. That is amazing. Yeah. And then this part was kind of crazy. After Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, his widow, Coretta Scott King, actually approached Josephine Baker in the Netherlands and asked her if she would take Martin Luther King Jr.'s place as the leader of the civil rights movement. What? Yeah. And she thought it over for a few days and then declined because she didn't want her children to lose their mother. And she was really, really scared by his assassination, obviously. Yeah. So she said her children were too young to lose their mother. But obviously it was something that was very important to her. And she was a major part of it for like his widow to approach her. I, and was, ask I mean, her. I was going to say, like, what shows someone's significance more than that? I know. Right. The like that was the next person she came to. She's like, hey, will you take it over? Obviously, this kind of brings in her children. Like we kind of talked about it throughout. She ended up having four different marriages to men. And um, throughout her life, she also, it's believed that she had several relationships with women, but she was never married to a woman officially, um, but it's believed that she was bisexual. Um, one of her relationships was even believed to be with the blues singer Clara Smith, hmm. and um, she had a bunch of other affairs as well. So she had quite a long love life that overlapped a lot. Um, it's very hard to keep track of. If you want to go read the whole section, you can. There was quite a few people that I don't even know the name of. It's also believed that she possibly had been in a relationship of some kind with Frida Kahlo. Oh, so that's interesting. During her work with the civil rights movement, she began adopting children. And she liked to refer to her family as the Rainbow Tribe. Um, because she wanted to prove that children of different ethnicities and religions could still be brothers. And so she took these children with her everywhere that she went, like traveled across country with them. And this part was kind of weird to me, but like, I don't know. She would like arrange tours so visitors could walk the grounds of her house and see how natural and happy her children were. Huh. So they would like... I don't know. It's like, weird. I understand the sentiment <laughs> of it, but like, yeah, that is a little yeah. odd. Because like, so her estate had hotels, a farm, rides. The children would sing and dance for audiences. She charged admission for visitors to enter and partake in the activities. And one of the activities was watching her children play. And then she would create dramatic backstories for them. Um, at one point, she wanted and planned to get a Jewish baby for some reason, but then decided she wanted a French one instead. And something that was notable, too, is that she ended up raising them with different religions to further her model for the world. Like, she had two children from Algeria, and she raised one Muslim and the other Catholic, just to kind of, like, show that it didn't matter. She had two daughters, French-born Marianne and Moroccan-born Stelina, and ten sons, Korean-born Janot, Japanese-born Akio, Colombian-born Louis, Finnish-born Jari, French-born Jean-Claude, Noel, and Moise. So those were all from France. Um, Algerian-born Brahim, Iverian-born Coffee, and Venezuelan-born Mara. So a lot of children. Yeah. <laughs> Twelve. Twelve children. Um, she lived with her children and her enormous staff at a chateau in France, and um, also her fourth husband for a while, Jabolian. And she only ended up having one kid herself biologically. It was a stillborn in 1941. And that was the incident that ended up resulting in her emergency hysterectomy. Wow. Yeah. So in her later years, she converted to Catholicism. In 1968, she lost that huge estate in France due to unpaid debts, and that's when she moved with Princess Grace to Monaco. In 1968, she was back on stage in Paris, in Belgrade, and Carnegie Hall in 1971, and then continued to perform. 
um, doing a respective review of celebrating 50 years of show business in 1975, uh, which was financed by Prince Rainier, Princess Grace, and Jacqueline, Jackie Kennedy. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> and um, demand for seating was so intense that fold-out chairs had to be added to accommodate spectators. And the opening night audience included Sophia Loren, Mick Jacker, Shirley Bassey, Diana Ross, and Liza Minnelli. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm saying we should, we should all know this person's name. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of a shocker that we all don't hear about Josephine Baker. Um, four days later, after this huge review of, like, star-studded audience, um, Baker was found lying peacefully in her bed, surrounded by newspapers with glowing reviews of her performance. Um, she actually had had a cerebral hemorrhage and was in a coma. Um, oh. She was taken to a hospital, and she ended up dying aged 68 on the 12th of April, 1975. Oh, that's so young. Yeah. She received a full Catholic funeral, and there was more than 20,000 mourners who attended. She was the only American-born woman to receive full French military honors at her funeral. And it was a huge procession um, leading to a family service in Monte Carlo and then um, being buried in Monaco. What amazing. I mean, like, everything that you said is like, oh, yeah, and she was friends with Grace Kelly. Yeah. The Princess of Monaco and this and this and this. It's like, are you making this up as you go kind of a thing? Because it's like <laughs> one after the other of like, what? <laughs> I know. It's insane. Um, what's even crazier is that, like, her legacy isn't small. They've named in the Montparnasse Quarter of Paris, they have, some like, one named in her honor. She's been inducted into the St. Louis Walk of Fame and into the Hall of Famous Missourians. St. Louis's Channing Avenue was renamed Josephine Baker Boulevard. There's a wax sculpture of Baker on permanent display in the Gryatt Museum of Black History. She was inducted into the Legacy Walk in Chicago, Illinois. Um, there is a Josephine Baker swimming pool in the Sign Paris named after her. In a BBC magazine, Dara Royston, a historical dance teacher, credited Baker with being the Beyonce of her day. And bringing the Charleston, which is a very famous dance, to Britain. Two of her sons would grow up to start a restaurant called Ches Josephine on Theater Row in New York City, celebrating her life and works. Her chateau, that was that huge castle where she raised her 12 children, is open to the public and displays her stage outfits, including her banana skirt, of which apparently there are several, and displays family photographs and documents along with her Legion of Honor medal. It also shows, like, all of the children's rooms and everything else. In a 2003 interview with USA Today, Angelina Jolie actually cited Baker as a model for the multiracial, multinational family she was creating herself through adoption. Wow. Um, Beyonce performed Josephine Baker's Banana Dance at the Fashion Rocks concert on Radio City Music Hall in September 2006. Vogue, on the 110th anniversary of her birth, described how her 1926 dance savage in her famous banana skirt brilliantly manipulated the white male imagination and radically redefined notions of race and gender through style and performance in a way that continues to echo throughout fashion and music today from Prada to Beyonce. Um, there was a documentary about her released in 2018 that premiered at the Beirut Art Film Festival. Um, that even showed archival footage of her from her performance days. In August 2019, she was one of the honorees inducted in the Rainbow Honor Walk, a walk of fame in San Francisco's Castro neighborhood, noting LGBTQ plus people who have made significant contributions in their fields. And just this year, in May 2021, uh, an online petition was set up by a writer named Laurent Hoop Furman, asking that Josephine B. Baker be honored by reburying her at the Pantheon in Paris or being granted Pantheon honors. And this would make her the only, the only, oh, I can't talk. This would make her the only sixth woman at the mausoleum 
alongside Simone Veal, Genevieve de Gaulle, Antonise, Marie Curie, Jermaine Tillion, and Sophie Berthelot. And wow. they agreed, and the French president, Emmanuel Macron, agreed for her remains to enter the Pantheon. However, her son, Jean-Claude, told them that her body would remain in Monaco, but they could put a plaque installed at the hmm. Pantheon. And there was actually an article that she's the first African-American woman to be included in the Pantheon in Paris. That's amazing. So it's not like she disappeared. That's the part that's so crazy no. to me is that, like, she's been continuously brought up, but, like, but like she's not, not... like, with common knowledge? Or... Yeah, like, she wasn't in my civil rights section of my textbook. No. When, when we Googled Grace Kelly and studied her, Josephine Baker didn't come up. Yeah, which you know? is, that's what I think is weird. Is like, if they're really such great friends... It should have said something. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like, when we talked about how they constantly have to rediscover people because people forget about them. Yeah. And I feel like that's what it is. That it's like, how many people who watched the Met Gala and heard it was inspired by Josephine Baker actually know Josephine Baker's Mm -hmm. history. But isn't she just, like, the coolest person ever, like, from... I know. Showgirl in early France and like a pet cheetah and then like having 12 children and like touring Europe and speaking with Martin Luther King on the March on Washington and then being, being a like sp- a French spy. Yeah, I was going to say like the fact that she had a pet cheetah is like maybe top like top 10 most interesting about her, but it's not the most interesting about her. And like that is a very no. interesting thing about someone if yeah. they have a pet cheetah. <laughs> pet cheetah named Chiquita. So, sorry, I just, like, word vomited her whole story. (laughs) No, I'm so glad that I know it now. Like, yeah, it's just, like, what a, like, a crazy life, honestly. And, like, obviously it goes without saying, but she was, like, stunningly beautiful. Just, like, absolutely gorgeous. So, I will definitely be posting photos um, because there's tons of them, which is awesome. Sometimes it's harder to find photos for a lot of these people, but, like from everything from the banana skirt to her in her uniform at the march on washington to like later on her life her with her pet cheetah like it's just insane it is i don't know like it just bothers me it's like why don't we know about her maybe everyone else knows about her i don't think so but it it feels like you know with like all these women it's like okay what what did i miss what what day in history class was i not paying attention she was also considered like the first black female superstar apparently yeah and there's even like a whole article about how beyonce's and Daya rihanna were all inspired by josephine baker's fashion oh wow anyway she's everywhere like i yeah anyway <laughs> there's just so much apparently like rihanna wished her happy birthday on twitter a while yeah so like she hasn't disappeared i just feel like it's one of those names that like if you know her you know her and if and you, you don't see it you it dismisses yeah and that's kind of annoying because like yeah anyway <laughs> i don't even know what i'm trying to say no I just but feel i like, get you yeah like her legacy is on the level of like marilyn monroe and audrey hepburn pretty much and yet, yeah like we're not talking about talking her. about her well, I'm glad that I know about her story now, though. And I feel Me like it's the person now where I'm going to start seeing her name and, like, po- finally putting the connection together, and I'm happy that I'll be able to do that. Yes. No, I really think you're going to see her everywhere now because she is everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's definitely everywhere. It's just one of those things where, like, yeah, until you hear about her, then you don't notice. So mm-hmm. that is Josephine Baker. And I hope everyone who's listening learns something, too. I hope yeah. you guys start noticing the name Josephine Baker more and more. And if you already knew about her, then maybe you learned something new. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yeah. Thanks to all of our new listeners. If you're an old or new listener, maybe drop us a review. That would be that great. That would be great. People are finding us via Apple Podcasts, which is really cool. But it can help people, you know, actually give us a chance if we have more reviews. So Definitely. do that. And we love to um, continue the episode throughout the week on our Instagram. So if you want to tune in on the discussion, see some photos, quotes, 
other things, you can pop over and follow us on there. It's just more than amused.podcast on Instagram. And we are on TikTok. We're not as active on it, but it's there. So and um, hopefully we'll be yeah. more active. Too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you want to check that out too, then feel free to. And we will be back again on Monday with another yes. topic. So be back next week and talk to you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.